Chapter 5 of The Duckfooted Hound. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Duckfoot. By some mischance, one of the willows bordering the pool grew at a freakish angle. A two-pound sucker, probably coon-mauled or osprey-dropped somewhere upstream, had washed down and anchored beneath the misshapen tree. Its white belly was startlingly plain in the clear water. When Harky came on the scene, the pup was trying to get that sucker. Harky almost called, certain that he had finally found precious Sue. Then he knew his error. The pup was marked exactly like Sue, and at first glance it seemed exactly the size of Sue. But though it was big for its age and was further magnified by the water in which it swam, undoubtedly it was a puppy. Since wild horses couldn't have torn him away, Harky stayed where he was and watched. The pup couldn't possibly have scented the fish, for the water would kill scent. Therefore, he must have seen it and known what he was looking at. Now, despite a certain awkwardness that was to be expected in a pup, he seemed as comfortably at home in the water as old Joe was in Mun Mundy's chicken house. He made a little circle, head cocked to one side so that he might peer downward as he swam. For a moment, he held still, paws moving just enough to keep him from drifting in the gentle current. Then he dived. Smooth as a fishing loon, the pup went down head first and straight to his objective. Reaching the anchored sucker, he swiped at it with a front paw. The sucker did not move. The pup, who did not seem to know that he was where no dog should be, and trying what no dog should try, made another attempt. Failing a second time, he tried a third. Wide-eyed and open-mouthed, Harky voiced the astonishment that he had not dared express while the pup was in hearing. Jinglin' I'll pee haul! Sue's pup for sure! There couldn't be the slightest doubt. A hound pup was one thing. A hound pup that looked exactly like Sue, down to the last blue tick, might leave room for argument. But there was no disputing the lineage of a hound pup that even growled exactly like Sue. Harky had heard her do it a hundred times, always when she was frustrated by something or other. Once more, his feeling had served him well. Sue had not drowned in Willow Brook on that black night when she was so hot on old Joe's trail. However, neither had she followed him across. As close as she'd been, she'd have treed him, sure. Even though old Joe would have taken care to climb a tree with one or more escape routes, Sue would have barked as soon as she got him up. Harky and Mun, who'd lingered near the broken ice for the better part of an hour, would have heard her bark. Something had happened and though Harky did not know what it was, he suspected that the broken ice provided the proper clue. If it had broken under Sue, and evidently it had, perhaps she'd been hurt. Somehow or other, she'd made it across Willow Brook, and the breakup had kept her there. Trapped, unable to come home, she'd gone wandering in search of a mate. She'd found one. Which one? A hound, obviously, and a big one. But Harky knew every hound on this side of Willow Brook and neither the blood nor the characteristics of any were evident in the pup. It must have been a coon hound, for none except coon hounds had reason to work in the water, and the pups combined Sue's aquatic skill with some other hound's genius. A hound that could not only dive, but apparently was capable of remaining submerged for as long as it chose, was a marvel fully as astounding as the two-headed calf that had been born to Melly Garson's mule-footed cow. It was what one might expect from a mule-footed cow, Mun opined and anyway, the calf lived only a few hours. 
The pup was not only alive, but Harkey himself was watching it. This day, he told himself, would long be remembered in the annals of the creeping hills. The pup, finally needing air, glided up through the water as gracefully as a trout rising to a fly. Not knowing whether he'd spook, Harkey held very still. But he could not control his imagination, and, after the pup dived, what held him down? Fish were able to do as they pleased because, as everyone knew, they gulped water to make themselves heavy when they wanted to go down, and spit it out to eject ballast when they wanted to come up. Loons, grebes, and some species of ducks had mastered the same trick, but the only animals that knew it, probably because they'd spent so much time in the water that they could see for themselves what the fish did, were beavers and muskrats. Harky had a sudden feeling. Far and away, the greatest coonhound ever to run the creeping hills, Precious Sue, would never run again. If she were alive, she'd be with the pup. But Harky's new feeling had to do with the thought that the pup was destined to become even greater than his mother. The pup growled once more. Harky rubbed his eyes, certain that he was hearing Sue. He looked away and back again before he convinced himself that he was watching the pup. Swimming so smoothly that there was scarcely a ripple in his wake, the pup made another circle. Harky's heart pumped furiously as he realized what was happening. The pup, who probably had tried to retrieve the fish a dozen times, was not working blindly. Having learned from past mistakes, he was planning this new attempt in a brand new way. Rather than go straight down, he turned, swam four feet away, then turned again and dived at a 45 degree angle. This time, he aimed at the willow stalk rather than the anchored fish. He struck with his shoulder so hard that the willow's topmost leaves rattled, but the stalk moved aside and the fish floated three. Floating slowly upward, the fish was within three inches of the surface when it was seized by a swift little current and whisked away. Breaking water exactly where the sucker should have been, the pup was bewildered, but he remained at a loss for only a split second. Splashing for the first time, he turned mightily, raised his forequarters high, looked all around and sighted the fish. Now it was about a dozen feet away. The pup overtook it, grasped it in its mouth, and circled back towards shore. With one mighty leap, Harky landed in knee-deep water. He hadn't dared move while the pup was in the shallows near the bank, for there was too much chance that it might slip around him, run into the brush, and escape. But not even a pup as talented as this one could swim 15 feet and get away. The water rose to Harky's thighs, then to his belt. Watching him, but not dropping the sucker, the pup made a downstream circle designed to carry him around Harky and into the willows. His eyes were calculating, his manner the calm and detached air of one who knows exactly what he's doing. Water lapped Harky's armpits, and he knew that he was going to win, but not by a comfortable margin. With another foot or so of lead, or a second more, the pup would get away. When a yard and a half separated them, Harky flung himself forward and folded the pup in both arms and clasped it to his chest. Being caught, the pup dropped his fish. Sinuous as a snake and swift as a hummingbird, he brought his head round, scored Harky's arm with needle-sharp puppy teeth, and blood seeped out of the scratches. Ouch! Harky gritted. Little devil! Holding the pup with his right arm, he clamped his left hand around its neck so the pup could not turn and bite again. The pup whined. When Harky petted him gently, his whine changed to a warning growl. Harky pondered the entire situation. Here was the proper place to teach manners, but the pup was not without justice on his side. 
He had located the fish and worked hard to get it. Therefore, he should have it. Now, in quiet water, the fish was bobbing against Harky's chest. He let go of the pup's neck, grabbed at the fish, and the pup bit him again before he was able to grasp it. Cut it out, Harky ejaculated. I'm just trying to help you. Now that the fish was in Harky's hand, the pup forgot all about biting. He extended his muzzle, licked his chops, and wriggled. When Harky held the fish near enough, the pup bit off a chunk of tail and swallowed it whole. Three bites later, the fish was eaten. You ain't just hungry, Harky commented. You're starved. The pup sighed, snuggled against Harky's chest, and then turned to look him full in the face. Harky looked back. The pup was Sue all over again, except for his eyes. Hers were gentle. His could be, but they could also be proud and fierce. Harky thought of Mun. I think you'd as soon be friends, Harky said, but something tells me nobody will ever take a switch to you. Whoever thinks you need hiding, just best use a club. Oddly, as though he wanted to shake hands, the pup raised a forepaw to Harky's left palm. Harky's heart skipped a beat. He gulped, wondering if he felt what he thought he did, and not daring immediately to feel again. Then he did, and almost threw the pup back into the pool. If I hadn't felt it, he gasped, I could in no ways believe it. No lightning flashed in the blue sky, and no thunder pealed. Bright day did not turn to black night. Harky felt the paw again, then steeled himself to look. He gulped, but because no supernatural forces descended upon him, he first felt and then looked at the pup's other three paws. There was no shade of doubt. Each of the pup's toes was joined to the next by a webbing of skin. Sue had given birth to a duck-footed hound. Suddenly, it occurred to Harky that he was still waist-deep in Willow Brook, and that nothing special was to be gained by staying there. Carrying the pup, who seemed satisfied to be carried now that he was no longer so hungry, Harky waded back to the bank. His awe mounted. Since he was born with the duck's feet, no wonder Sue's pup could swim like a duck. Dripping water, Harky climbed the bank. What are we going to do with you, Duckfoot? he asked. Duckfoot answered that question by wriggling, rolling sidewise and jumping to the ground. Harky sighed with relief. If the pup was allied with witches, and how else could duck feet on a dog be explained? Now was the time for him to disappear in a flash of flame and a cloud of smoke and return to the infernal regions from which he had emerged. He did nothing except sit down, blink solemnly at Harky, and wag his tail. Harky had a fleeting thought that almost frightened him all over again. Duckfoot had certainly been touched by sinister forces that no man ever saw. Man sometimes heard them when they shrieked on a midnight wind or moaned among the forest trees, and decidedly they were better left alone. But suppose... Just suppose that Duckfoot was more hound than spirit. What if the good was embodied in the hound, was powerful enough to overcome the bad, which was surely represented in the webbed feet on a dog? If Duckfoot gave his allegiance to any man... Harky trembled when he considered such possibilities. Old Joe himself, who'd been running the creeping hills for all the time, could not run away from a duck-footed hound. In sudden near panic, Harky swooped, caught Duckfoot, clutched him tightly and raced up Willowbrook. He needed experienced counsel. Mun, who knew far more than he about such matters, was the man to advise him. It never occurred to Harky that deserved punishment awaited his return, and it never occurred to Mun, who knew the ways of his son, that Harky would even think of coming home until he'd enjoy his full day. The hiding wouldn't be any harder. 
Mun's first fleeting thought was that Harky had gone insane. Then he noticed the pup in Harky's arms and came incredulously forward. What the blazes? Look! Harky put Duckfoot down. The pup gave Mun a sober and very critical inspection, then came forward to sniff his shoes. Sue's pup! Mun ejaculated. Harky looked curiously at his father. He never thought much about Mun except that, when it came to running away from trifling farm tasks to engage in worthwhile pursuits, he was a mighty hard man to fool. All he knew at that moment was that, for the first time since that dreadful night when Sue disappeared, Mun looked happy. Harky fidgeted. He'd like it well enough if Mun always looked happy, but he dared not assume the fearful responsibility of pronouncing judgment on Duckfoot. Nor was it for him to bring a hound that was only a part hound into the household, not even if the hound part was all precious Sue. Harky steeled himself, caught up Duckfoot, and extended his paw. Look. For a moment, Mun did not speak. Then he discovered his voice. Gosh almighty, where'd you get that pup? In the pool by the shale bank he was, trying to get a sucker from beneath that crookedy willow. Mun listened attentively, and when Harky finished, he cleared his throat. But he did not speak for a full forty-five seconds. I got it figured now, he said seriously. When Sue ran off that night, she missed old Joe. But now I know how come she didn't drown. A duck pulled her out of the water. A duck? Harky questioned. Not just a barnyard duck, Mun said. And not just a wild duck, neither. It was some big old duck, maybe bigger than Sue herself. What's been settin' in the backwoods for no man knows how many years, just waitin' to put a spell on Sue. What do we do, Pa? Harky asked worriedly. Watch Duckfoot, Mun declared. Watch him close, and shoot him the minute we find he's puttin' spells on us. Maybe he won't. He's anyhow half Sue, and maybe that'll keep the half that ain't down. Leave him go, Harky. Harky put Duckfoot down. Just at that moment, the single forlorn duck that shared the chicken house with Mun's chickens chose to stroll past. Duckfoot leaped ecstatically at it, overtook it, bore it down in a flurry of threshing wings, and looked very pleased with himself. Sue done that, Mun declared. She knows what she's fetched on us, and she's trying to make up. But we still gotta have a care. Just as she was put under a spell in the dark of the moon, Duckfoot is bewitched by ducks. What about the duck? Harky asked practically. Uh, take it behind the barn and pick it, Mun directed. We'll have it for supper. It was sort of piddling duck anyhow. End of chapter 5